Hi, it's me. I'm having a cup of coffee. I'm waking up for the day. But sometimes I work late at night. So during the day or in the late morning, sometimes I'll have a nice little nap. It's not always easy to fall asleep. Whether we're taking a nap or trying to get settled for the night. So this is going to be a show about falling asleep and also about the dreams that we have once we're asleep. My favorite trick for falling asleep is something called eye movement. There's a whole therapy dedicated to using eye movement to sort of delve into your memories, deal with emotions. I'm not trained to do any of that. But what I do like to do is quietly and without moving my head, just slide my eyes back and forth from all the way to the left to all the way to the right. Just enough to feel a little bit of a stretch, a little eye exercise. Eye movement as a therapy was discovered by a woman who noticed that scanning the horizon helped her feel calm. And it seems to me to stand to reason that scanning the horizon and checking our peripherals makes us feel safe. You can try it. I wouldn't try it when driving in case it does make you feel sleepy. But you can think of it, speaking of driving, you can think of it as checking your side mirrors. Imagine that your head is anchored to the seat of your car and you move your eyes only all the way left so that you could see the wing mirror on the left side of your car and then all the way right so that you could see the right wing mirror. And you'll notice, I bet, a little bit of a head change from this. By mindfully checking on those blind spots, those peripheral areas, and moving your eyes back and forth, something in the very center of your head kind of relaxes. Now, I don't know if anyone will know what I'm talking about when I say this is clearly the origin of you're getting sleepy, very sleepy. Does anyone know when this trope was first used? I don't know. 
but I'm seeing a man with a pocket watch swinging it back and forth. And if you were that hypno watching a pocket watch swing back and forth without moving your head, you would be using eye movement. And when you do, you can do it with your eyes open. But if you're trying to fall asleep, you might as well close your eyes. Move your eyeballs back and forth. Or, in a nice figure eight shape, there's a gif you can find of a paintbrush moving in a figure eight. If you follow the brush with your eyes around and around, you're going to get that same relaxing feeling. So why does this help? I don't know. But I think when people are trying to fall asleep, they're thinking of all these other things that they have to do. We have a lot of things to get done. Sometimes we really need to rest. I think everyone finds it difficult to fall asleep sometimes. So what I'm hoping is that we can all get some nice sleep and we can all have some nice dreams or meaningful dreams, interesting dreams, fruitful dreams. Because dreams, contrary to popular belief, dreams are not just images that play in front of your eyeballs at night that your brain then struggles to invent a reason for. Dreams are not just wish fulfillment. Dreams are not just the things that happened that day that you're processing. Dreams are symbolic messages from yourself to yourself, from your own brain to your own heart, one might say. Or you can say that dreams are sent from the gods or from the simulators. But they are a message of some kind and they always have something to say. It's also popular these days to say, nobody cares about your dream Nobody wants to hear you recount a dream you had. Well, I always feel a little silly when people say that because I like to hear dreams. I'm interested. So if you're out there and you had a funny dream recently, or you've been having a recurring dream recently, I do want to hear about it. I think dreams always have something to say. They often have something very clear, even obvious, to say. But we can't always interpret our own dreams. Sometimes it takes a reflector. The psychotherapist Fritz Perls 
believed that the best way to get into the message of a dream was to create a dialogue between two elements of the dream. Like the koala bear we saw at the zoo, or the man who was driving the train, or the train, or the giant cloud I was in, or the mixing bowl that I couldn't find, or my father who was talking to me. These are elements. And if they're in your dream, they're symbols. Dream symbols are highly personal, meaning a dream of a panda bear will mean something different if you are from China or if you're not. It's not just national identity, obviously. Things we have experiences with mean things to us. Let's say you really like ice cream. Then ice cream in your dream will mean something. Let's say you're trying to not eat any ice cream for a whole month. Then to dream of ice cream will represent something different. When I say that dream symbols are obvious, Fritz Perls said that dreams use overkill to get their messages across. This is why dreams are so campy, dramatic, outrageous. So I guess I'll tell you, and I guess if you're trying to fall asleep, you could be laying down and closing your eyes. I think I'll tell you about a dream that I had. I had a dream many years ago that I was down on the ground floor, the garage floor of my old house. And I saw through the garage window a little monkey. A little monkey had climbed up and was peeking through the window. And this was a very spirited little monkey. And it looked like he was trying to get into the garage. But there didn't seem to be any way for him to get in. So I ignored the monkey. And I continued walking up the stairs. And when I reached the second floor of the house, I looked back down. And I noticed that up the stairs, after me, was climbing a chimpanzee. And I thought, well, this problem's gotten bigger. <laughs> now, I'm not sure what this primate represented. But suffice it to say, 
when I reached the third floor and walked into one of the rooms thinking maybe I can ignore this whole situation. Then the door opened and I was met with a gorilla. And I had to talk to this um, silverback gorilla. Now I actually think this is a very funny dream and I like it a lot. And one of the reasons I like it is because the imagery is really obvious and kind of campy. The idea that a situation that you can't ignore will grow bigger To show that idea visually as moving from a monkey to a chimp to a gorilla is something that delights me. Now, obviously, this dream was, one could say, a message to myself about some kind of problem. That doesn't mean it's a bad dream. The reason I like it is because it's just a little movie that I got to invent for myself. And it has elements of things that that only I would really find to be funny. Dreaming is a space of pure creativity. We may not like to admit that everything in our dreams comes from us. But it is true. All those elements reside in us. And in our dreams, we let them out to play. Have you ever woken up inside a dream? Sometimes you have those moments. in what you think is daily life. And you suddenly realize nothing around you is really materially happening because you're in a dream. When you have this realization, especially early on in trying to lucid dream, Often it will just wake you up because it can be very surprising to suddenly think, wait, I'm in a dream. Some people are very good at 
controlling their dreams from that point forward. Very often people will find that just the realization that you're dreaming can wake you up. And one of the ways to try to mitigate this is to practice rubbing your hands together and spinning in a circle. Now, I don't imagine you have to practice this much in your waking life to get this skill down. But you've got to practice it when dreaming, if possible. It's not easy to remember across the dream divide. A lot of things get lost. We have dreams where we find ourselves in totally different lives and we sort of accept that this is true. So to remember something as specific as spin in a circle if you think you're dreaming can be difficult. But I implore you, the next time you wake up inside a dream, try to rub your hands together or spin in a circle. These things ground you in your dream body. They prevent you from identifying with your sleeping body. And they help you identify with the dream body. Now sometimes you think you might be dreaming or you're not sure. And in that case, there are some things you can do. We know that light levels are difficult to change in a dream. So light switches don't tend to work. If you're ever not sure you're dreaming, you can try the nearest light switch. And then once you realize that you are dreaming, you can try to have some fun. Some people like to try to affect the environment around them. I don't tend to have that much luck, but sometimes I can wave my arms around and go poof, make things appear or disappear or change to a new place. If you're in a dream and you know that you're dreaming and you feel that incredible sense of freedom, you could just start running around, walk around, and your dream will sort of procedurally generate around you. So before we read the bedtime story, I just want to say it's okay if you're not remembering any dreams. It's okay if you feel like you don't dream at all. But you will notice if you start to think more about dreaming that you might suddenly start remembering dreams. Especially if you write them down. 
I wish I knew the name of the dream worker who said this. Then I'll have to look it up. But I remember reading an article wherein a dream worker said that when working with people who don't remember their dreams or claim not to have dreams, one way to get into the work is to ask that person to just invent a dream. What would you have dreamed last night if you did have a dream? And he said that when people start inventing a story of a dream, making up a dream, that that creative impulse comes from the same place as dreams do. And all of those symbols, those messages to yourself, are going to be present in that story that you tell, just as they are present in all the stories that we all tell. These dream symbols, which we may find to be esoteric, might seem to other people to be pretty on the nose. And these grand personal dramas that we put into symbols, whether through our dreams or through our creative work, we put out there for other people to see and um, we're really showing all the deepest parts of ourselves when we go into that language of symbols. When we go into a creative space where we can invent, this is the same place the dreams come from. So I would love to hear from you if you are a big dreamer, if you can't remember any of your dreams, if you don't like your dreams, if you're plagued by a specific recurring dream, or if you remember a dream you once had that you've never forgotten. If you dream of the same house all the time, but you've never been there in real life. What are the symbols that you keep sending to yourself? I think now it's time for me to read you a little bedtime story. And the one I've chosen today is from one of my favorite books. It's a scene from Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Let's see. Now this is from the part of the novel when Elizabeth and her uncle and aunt are on a tour of the countryside. 
a road trip, essentially. And they decide to visit the house and the grounds of Mr. Darcy. Now, to give you some context, Elizabeth does not want to go to Pemberley, which is where Mr. Darcy lives, because she's just starting to realize that maybe she wasn't as nice to him as she could have been about some things. So that's where we are. This little paperback I'm holding. This edition, 1962. Hmm. An Airmont classic. Airmont books. And if they're still around, they can be reached at 22 East 60th Street in New York. This crunchy old paperback says that this chapter is X-L-I-I-I. I know that X means 10, and I know that those three I's means three, and now I know because I looked it up that L means 50. This is chapter 43. They took their way towards the house on the opposite side of the river, in the nearest direction, but their progress was slow, for Mr. Gardiner, though seldom able to indulge the taste, was very fond of fishing, and was so much engaged in watching the occasional appearance of some trout in the water that he advanced but little. Whilst wandering on in this slow manner, they were again surprised, and Elizabeth's astonishment was quite equal to what it had been at first. By the sight of Mr. Darcy approaching them and at no great distance. The walk being here less sheltered than on the other side allowed them to see him before they met. Elizabeth, however astonished, was at least more prepared for an interview than before, and resolved to appear and to speak with calmness, if he really intended to meet them. For a few moments, indeed, she felt that he would probably strike into some other path. This idea lasted while a turning in the walk concealed him from their view. The turning passed, he was immediately before them. 
With a glance, she saw that he had lost none of his recent civility. And to imitate his politeness, she began, as they met, to admire the beauty of the place. But she had not got beyond the words delightful and charming. When some unlucky recollections obtruded, and she fancied that praise of Pemberley from her might be mischievously construed. Her color changed, and she said no more. Mrs. Gardiner was standing a little behind, and on her pausing, he asked her if she would do him the honor of introducing him to her friends. This was a stroke of civility for which she was quite unprepared, and she could hardly suppress a smile at his being now seeking the acquaintance of some of those very people against whom his pride had revolted in his offer to herself in his offer to herself. What will be his surprise, thought she, when he knows who they are? He takes them now for people of fashion. The introduction, however, was immediately made, and as she named their relationship to herself, she stole a sly look at him to see how he bore it and was not without the expectation of his decamping as fast as he could from such disgraceful companions that he was surprised by the connection was evident. He sustained it, however, with fortitude, and so far from going away, turned back with them and entered into conversation with Mr. Gardiner. Elizabeth could not but be pleased, could not but triumph. It was consoling that he should know she had some relations for whom there was no need to blush. She listened most attentively to all that passed between them and gloried in every expression, every sentence of her uncle, which marked his intelligence, his taste, or his good manners. The conversation soon turned upon fishing, and she heard Mr. Darcy invite him with the greatest civility to fish there 
as often as he chose while he continued in the neighborhood, offering at the same time to supply him with fishing tackle and pointing out those parts of the stream where there was usually most sport. Mrs. Gardner, who was walking arm in arm with Elizabeth, gave her a look expressive of her wonder. Elizabeth said nothing, but it gratified her exceedingly. The compliment must be all for herself. Her astonishment however, was extreme, and continually was she repeating, Why is he so altered? From what can it proceed? It cannot be for me. It cannot be for my sake that his manners are thus softened. My reproofs at Hunsford could not work such a change as this. It is impossible that he should still love me. And now we're at the end of this chapter. Mr. Darcy tells Elizabeth that a party of friends is going to come join him, just like the housekeeper said, and that Mr. Bingley and his sister will be among them. There is also one other person in the party, he continued, after a pause who more particularly wishes to be known to you. Will you allow me, or do I ask too much, to introduce my sister to your acquaintance during your stay at Longburn? The surprise of such an application was great indeed. It was too great for her to know in what manner she acceded to it. So she said yes, but she barely remembers what she even said. They now walked on in silence, each of them deep in thought. Elizabeth was not comfortable. That was impossible but she was flattered and pleased. His wish of introducing his sister to her was a compliment of the highest kind. That's all for tonight. I hope you have a good rest, 
get some good sleep. And have a good time in dreamland.